Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Survive a Pandemic. <laughs> I've renamed the show. You're welcome. Thank you. This is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Um, here's what is astonishing me. I am boring now. I'm boring now. That Wait. is what I have. I, I am boring. And I have noticed this about myself. I am accepting it that I have been on lockdown. My brain is not working very well. I am not capable of sustaining a train of thought. I am not talking with people. I mean, I have got no interesting observations. I am, I'm boring now. I keep wanting to call my friends to talk to them. And I'm like, huh, I really want to talk to you. And I have nothing to say. I'm boring. That's terrible. And I still have to preach to the Sunday. So it's worrisome. That's it. Mm. That's what's astonishing me. I'm boring. Wow. Um, and I must be a nice person because a mean person would make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I but. mean, I'm hoping it's a temporary condition. But really, it's, um, I mean, I am bored of myself, so it's a problem. So you, re you really problem. are just finding that you, you, you feel like you don't have much to talk about these days. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I and usually, is that, is that I don't due, know. Is that due to know. fatigue? Is that fatigue? I mean, I think it's fatigue. I think it's like there are, it's hard to think about anything else, but it, things that are coronavirus related and it's hard to think about things that are coronavirus related because there's just insufficient data. And so, you know, I just, it's, it's just boring and um, I am boring because of it. And I'm hoping that it is a temporary condition, but I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't have interesting things to say right now. <laughs> I am really not happy about that. Um, so yes, that is my astonishment. Uh, that reminds me of um, watching the news. I found that um, my little one has walked in. Uh, I, I found that I can only watch so much of the news except for Governor Cuomo. For some reason, I find his press conferences really good. But everything else about um, this quarantine or about COVID-19, I just get tired of listening to fairly quickly but Cuomo I can listen to for a while I think there is a certain amount of just overload you you want to talk about it but there just comes a place where you're just like you know what I don't think I have any more to say about <laughs> about this thing that we're all going through yeah I mean I just think there's no um distance yet that would be necessary to really you know make some observations or draw some conclusions and um, I am just mentally exhausted. And I think a lot of times for me, I've learned things by making comparisons. And so it's difficult to do that right now when everything is kind of on one 
on one channel. So, uh, I mean, it's just, it's disappointing. I, I feel, I mean, and I have been having some thoughts, but I mean, I feel like this should be just such a rich time of insight and wisdom and meaning making, and I am not experiencing it as such. So that is, that's it. So what is astonishing you? Okay. I, I, I really want to explore that some more, uh, but we'll, well, let me say this. Um, it almost sounds like, and I hope this isn't too, too far-fetched, but it, it sounds a bit like um, some experiences people have with trauma, right? They can't really, you can't do much meaning making while you're going through it. I mean, you're yeah. just trying to get through it. It's only in retrospect that you can really begin to unpack and say, okay, what was that? What does it mean? What are the implications for now? And so I think... Um, there is a level of we're experiencing something really, really challenging. And there are days in which um, (laughs) Han said to me this morning, she said, okay, I think we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And so you have those moments. And then you have those other moments where you just think, when is this going to end? Are we going to be okay? Yeah, I I think what's challenging for me is I don't know whether we are at the end of something or at the beginning of it. And I don't think that anybody knows that. And so it's just a, I mean, it's a profound experience of disorientation. And I guess that's helpful just to even hear a phrase like that, because I really like that Walter Brueggemann construct where he talks about sort of, um, especially in the Psalms, he talks about reading, right. He talks about like in the early Psalms, those are Psalms of orientation and it's just people who are expressing their faith to God and they have a certain understanding of like who God is and who they are and how God works in the world and what their responsibilities are. So there are these Psalms of orientation and they tend to be in the front of this altar. And then there are all of these Psalms of disorientation where just, you know, maybe we're penned in the time of the exile, but just divine retribution didn't seem to be working anymore. And they couldn't understand the rules. They wondered if they had been mistaken about God or mistaken about themselves. They just were profoundly disoriented and we're doing a lot of crying out why. And then, and then in the latter part of the book, there are these Psalms of reorientation where people have kind of come out of the other side and they have a, a, a new and a deeper, and I think a holier and truer understanding of who God is and, and what life is and what God's promises are. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, right now I, I am disoriented and I think I'm doing a lot of self censoring just because I think, um, again, I don't know if we're at the beginning of something or at the end of something. I don't know if, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a really interesting time. And I just thought I'd be better at it <laughs> than I am. So, <laughs> I am a, like, I don't often listen to our podcasts, um, but I did go back and listen to last week's and I was just like, wow, wow, wow. Like, I don't want to listen to this lady and I am this lady. So um, <sighs> it wow. was, it was a thing. So you can't, you 
can't, I cannot allow us to have a conversation about whether or not I'm boring. So we're just going to need to move well, on to. We both know Stella that you're not boring. You're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, what is astonishing you? Well, I'm astonished by um, these small groups that we launched this week. Uh, we're doing something very different uh, for us as a church. We are we're very good at gathering for fellowship, and we're very good when it comes to our discipleship at gathering for, um, I'll call it information transfer, right? Where there's, you know, mm-hmm. one person, namely me, talking, kind of one-way communication. Let me tell you what you need to know. And so we are, we, we started these small groups that are reflection on the Sunday morning message, which, you know, makes me a little... Um, self-conscious. And so these questions get sent out and the elders are leading these small groups. And it's really about asking, what is God saying to me? Well, I heard the message. We want, we want mm-hmm, people yeah. to do more than simply watch a video. We want them to worship and to reflect upon the word. And um, so we had our first week of small groups uh, this week. And the feedback. And are you, what's the format? Like email, text? We're using the... Zoom. And okay. uh, we have one group that meets over the phone for those who don't have internet. And, uh, you know, first part is just fellowship, checking in, pray for a while, and then reflect on the message, primarily asking, okay, so what, what is God saying to me through the message I heard? And the feedback I'm getting from elders is really rich that people are paying attention. There's a, there's a heightened um, listening uh, awareness that God is speaking during this time. Because uh, often, yeah, I don't know about you, but sometimes on Sunday morning, how do I say this? Um, I get a sense that people, well, there are other distractions, right? On Sunday morning, they can look at, we have really pretty stained glass windows. There are other people. Uh, and so I'm not always as confident that people are really listening. And I go, I preach long, okay? I just preach long sermons. <laughs> um, but I'm self-conscious making videos that you just can't, you can't preach for 40 minutes. I mean, you can, but really, or who's going to watch for 40 minutes? So my, my sermons are shorter, but it seems that people are really dialed in uh, these days. And elders are expressing to me that they are surprised by how well it's going and how um, the, the people who've said yes to being in these small groups are really engaged. And so we're, we're meeting tonight just to uh, debrief uh, as a group and to talk about how I can support them more. But I'm hoping that this is the kind of thing that we will continue beyond. Um, yeah. Uh, no, that's this, really, this really quarantine. great. Yeah. Because it's, it's new. Like I said, for us, it's, it's about having a teacher, whether it's me or a Sunday school teacher giving information. There's a little discussion, but it's the, the elders who facilitate these small groups are not teachers. They're just right. asking questions and letting folks talk. And yeah, letting people think about where is the Lord moving in my life, that my life is a text too, and not instead of scripture, but to say the um, resurrection of Jesus doesn't end 
at the end of the gospels. And so I need to be looking in the pages of my life as well. I mean, like that's just really, really good, really good. Well, um, I am so very pleased that this was one of those things we didn't think about forever. We didn't overthink it. Yeah. Just said, okay, we're going to do it. And it, the rollout has been clumsy, not pretty at all. Yeah. Um, probably more that I could have done as a leader to prepare uh, these small group leaders. And so that's part of what I want to meet with them about tonight. But um, we'll, we can fix things. Like you yeah. always say, the first pancake is not so great. We'll, the first pancake's not good. We're just throw it out. Pancakes. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's great. It's interesting because we started um, virtual small groups, text small groups right after the quarantine started. And they, um, and I think I'm beginning to see that they have run their course. And so now we're going to have to figure out what, you know, just what thing, what fellowship looks like next, since I don't think that things will be um, resuming in the way that they were anytime soon. And I, I was just reading an article and they were just talking about, you know, I mean, in a moment like this, if we can't be adaptive as leaders for our congregations, then our congregations are not, I mean, are not going to survive. And so to be able to say, not just, you know, what, what have I done since since lockdown, but just even now, what am I doing that was new at the beginning of this season that now you have to look at it and say, okay, that was, that was good. Um, and <laughs> now it's no longer, um, serving its purpose. And so what, you know, what is the Holy Spirit leading us to, to do now? Yeah, so, even with our Bible studies on Thursday nights, I'm t- it's the same, we're, we're studying the same text. We're going through the gospel of John, but I'm having to adapt how I lead that time. When we gather on Thursday nights at the church, it was me talking for a good 40 minutes, doing my PowerPoint presentation. And then there was kind of a, a, a question discussion time. And we would go an hour 15, sometimes an hour and a half. And that, that doesn't work on a zoom meeting. You just can't do it that way. And so, well, and especially if people have been in zoom meetings all day, right? Like I do think that that is what's hard is there's just a limited amount of relate connecting that you can do in a given day over these screens. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a wild time to be doing this. It is wild, but we're doing it. Yeah. 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 So what are you thinking about? I am thinking <laughs> I am thinking about you know that first podcast we did at the beginning of the year where we <laughs> listed goals for the year I know. um it crossed my mind to go back to that list and ask so how am I doing and how is this quarantine this lockdown how is it affecting my goals for the year and oy vey. Okay, so the first thing I said. <laughs> I love it when you speak Yiddish. That's oh. always a good. Yes. Uh, yes. What was the, the first thing you said? The first thing I said in that list was in 2020, I wanted to embrace my process. And my process being as an introvert, I don't do things very quickly. When I get an idea, I sit with it a long time. And then I talk about it for a long time. 
And then I wait a long time after that. And then I will pull the trigger. Why? Because I tend to move slowly on new things. I don't, I'm not an early adopter. That's just how I'm wired. Um, COVID-19 is just not going to let me sit in that. That you just, I just can't. And so like these small groups got the ideas like, okay, we need to do this. And I don't have forever. So it's just not going to be pretty. I can't make it pretty. I just have to do it. And it's very uncomfortable. So that goal um, may be (laughs) shot. And it it occurred to me that just because I set a goal at the beginning of the year doesn't mean that it was God's goal for me. Right, right. I mean, I think that process of looking at where you are at the beginning of the year, I mean, it's about self-discovery. And so if what you discover by paying attention to life and the movement of the Holy Spirit, if what you discover is, oh, this thing that I was embracing about myself, actually, God is saying, not change who you are, but you're just not going to be able to do this in the way that seems most comfortable for you, at least in this season. Like, then... I mean, that goal setting process is a, can be a really fruitful process, even if you don't quote achieve the goal. So yeah, I do think that's funny. (laughs) That's funny to think of you saying, I'm going to really embrace (laughs) my pace. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I also said that, you know, and I I started, I said I was going to start running again. I started Mm -hmm. and then COVID-19 and I really haven't you know, can yeah, I'm gonna have I to can. call. I, I was gonna say, I'm gonna have to call some big BS on that because I mean, and I do think this is one of the things that has been so disconcerting and disorienting about this whole time is like all of the um, whatever excuses or lies we tell ourselves about why we don't do the things that we value, like, oh. I don't pray in this way that I value because I don't have enough time, or I don't exercise in this way that I value because I don't have enough time, or I don't read to my kids every night in the way that I want to because I don't have enough of time. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, the one thing I have right now is time. So there are other reasons that are, you know, and I think what's so comforting about the whole, I don't have enough time excuse is, I mean, who am I to make more time, right? Like if I don't have enough time, that's not my fault because I'm not the one who only put 24 hours in a day. And so then when you get lots and lots of time and you're still not doing these things that you, you know, tell yourself you would do if it were within your control, then you have to go, okay, then either I don't value these things in the way that I think that I value them, or I'm not living out my values, or I don't have the kind of energy. I mean, whatever it is. So that's a really uncomfortable series of revelations. Um, so yeah, I, I feel you, but you should still go run. I should, I really should. But it's interesting to compare what I said in January. And my plan was to do this around June, but this this season just made me think, okay, how am I doing with, with these goals? But 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 this this virus has really disoriented and changed yeah. things around in such a way that some just, they just don't fit anymore. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you bring this up. Did you just have two goals? What were your other goals? No. Oh, I had, um, I had several. Um, let's see. Another goal was to, oh, I was going to do um, a series of video testimonies of church members. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to interview church members. And um, so I was already planning to do quite a bit of new video stuff. Didn't quite 
yeah. <laughs> know yeah. that it would be a lot of Sunday yeah. morning and other yeah. uh, kinds of videos, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's interesting that you bring this up because I have a friend who is um, probably one of our most faithful podcast listeners. And he reached out to me this week and said like, Hey, you said at the beginning of the year, you were going to write more. And no, and it's true because of, because of COVID-19, because of the lockdown, I have been writing a lot more. Like I just, which I mean, just on the church blog and things, it's just been one of the ways that I can communicate um, to my congregation when we're apart. So, um, so he was just sort of joking about like, (laughs) it only took a, it only took a quarantine for you to make, keep your goal. And I was like, yeah, that's, so that's about, that's about a wash, right? Like, yes, we're all on lockdown and the economy is tanked and who knows what the human devastation of this is, but at least there are more blog posts from Kate Murphy. So anyway, that's interesting. So what are you thinking about? Um, well, I, I've been having really two major streams of thought as I am just watching um, people talk about um, this just debate about whether, when and whether the country should reopen. And I see these themes. Um, the one big theme is freedom. Like there are just a lot of people talking about, you know, this, I have freedom and, and what does freedom mean? And a lot of times as it is expressed, it means I have the freedom to do what I want to do when I want to do it and take on whatever risks I want for myself. So the freedom of self-determination. And this is, I mean, these are just people, citizens, not just people, but these are Americans writing as Americans. So not necessarily identifying from any faith tradition, but just, it's just been interesting to see how often people right now are talking about freedom and how that's what it means. Freedom means I can do what I want and the government can't tell me what to do. Um, And the other thing that I keep seeing articulated is um, just a lot of, in in these same rallies, um, you know, signs and conversations about, you know, like the, the weak just aren't going to make it. Um, I, I even, I'm sure you've seen it too. There was a, um, a protester with a sign that said sacrifice the weak. Um, and so it's just a really, um, and it's just interesting for me to watch that play out and recognize that our culture, you know, secular culture in as much as it can be um, differentiated, but prizes freedom. And I think this idea of um, innocent life, like, I think it's interesting when we talk about being pro-life in this country, what we talk about is, um, you know, um, is unborn children. So people, you know, there's not, I don't think a disconnect for most people, um, like a person who's holding a sign that says sacrifice the weak. I, I think often could still be a person who would protest at an abortion center because people, um, want to say that innocent life should be protected, but if a life isn't innocent, then, it should not, there's no, it's wrong to risk um, life to, it's wrong to risk anything to protect a life that isn't innocent. And I was just thinking in both of these strains of conversation, um, how unchristian the way these ideals of, of freedom and pro-life are. And that's not in a pejorative, like these are bad people kinds of ways. That's not what I mean. But I just mean for 
for a nation that purports so often to be Christian and for a nation that is so full of churches, I mean, at least some of these people have to be really sincere and authentic followers of Jesus Christ who just don't understand how different freedom is um, in the gospel from freedom as we tend to talk about it in American culture. Because, you know, in the gospel, we are free to lay down our lives. So we have this freedom that doesn't entail us getting to do whatever we want. It's freedom from being um, coerced by force, right? So this idea that, you know, Jesus is is free to announce the coming of the kingdom, even in the midst of the Roman empire, not because there will be no consequences for him, but because consequences don't have any power over him, right? So he's free from the threat of death and he's free from the threat of torture and he's free from the threat of shame, not because the the forces opposed to him won't keep all those things on him, (laughs) um, but because they don't have power over him. And that's what freedom looks like, the freedom to endure undeserved suffering. And then just this idea that, you know, I see people talking about wanting to you know, protect life, but not, you know, the lives of, say, immigrants in uh, migrants in detention centers or people in jail or or poor people who should have worked harder. And, you know, sort of the undercurrent is, well, if those people have extra risk, that's just their own fault because they broke the law or didn't work hard enough or their lives just aren't very valued. And the idea that just so unchristian to say that we only value innocent life because the whole the whole point of the cross is Jesus is dying on the cross to save non-innocent life, right? That Jesus is, is the innocent one and he sacrifices his life for the sake of the unrighteous. And so just all of these, you know, followers of Jesus, people who are part of the church who are um, really offended by the idea of having to limit their own freedoms, um, having to suffer, having to take risks, especially um, for people that they deem unworthy or uninnocent. And I, I understand that. That's natural. I, I get it. But it's not the gospel because the gospel is about um, not using your freedom to exalt yourself, but using your freedom to endure suffering for the sake of overturning it and disrupting it. And then the gospel is all about the righteous one um, sacrificing himself for the sake of the ungodly. And I just think, I mean, if I needed any more evidence, I just realized how, how little the values of the gospel have permeated into our secular culture, because, um, we just, we don't talk about, we don't talk as if we're people who have been shaped by the ethics of the cross. So that is what I'm thinking about. Wow. Wow, I'm um when you're talking about suffering made me think about Luke 24, the two walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm preaching on this week. Yeah. That's what I'm preaching on this week. Wow. And wow. so um, you know, Jesus is walking with them and they don't know, they don't recognize him. And they're reflecting on the things that have happened in Jerusalem, namely the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus incognito (laughs) says to them, 
something like, do you not realize that the Messiah had to suffer first and then enter into his glory? And mm-hmm. there's a note in the, uh, what is that? Cultural Background Study Bible that says, um, this is how God has always raised up leaders, right? <laughs> There's suffering and then glory. Joseph, Moses, uh, it named uh, several, uh, I think Daniel, but this is how God, if you just read the Old Testament, this is how God raises up leaders. They're suffering, they suffer, and then there's glory. And so Jesus That's is almost so just saying you, sh- you should have expected that when it comes to the ultimate leader, the ultimate deliverer. You should have expected suffering and then glory. I mean, and I definitely, I mean, he does say he does say that explicitly and teaches through teaches through the scriptures to show that I think what's interesting and where you and I would have a really interesting conversation is, is what does it mean when Jesus says it is necessary, right? Because I think you being more of a classic substitutionary atonement person um, would understand that in one way that, you know, God decided and organized it to happen in that, in that way. And I would say it's necessary because of the brokenness um, and distortion of the world, because I absolutely agree. And it's interesting, Carrie has a children's book um, about Nelson Mandela, and I was reading it to her this weekend. Um, you know, just noticing that pattern, just because I've been studying this text of um, this idea that, I mean, leaders do suffer because good leaders confront the powers and principalities that are coming to kill and steal and destroy. And good leaders say, I'm not trying to appease those powers or profit off of them. I'm confronting them. And for a while, those powers will hit back, right? So Nelson Mandela doesn't just rise up one day and say, you know, we should all, all shout South Africans should share South Africa. He says that. And then the powers that be say, get your butt to Robbins Island. And he stays there for whatever, 27 and a half years. And then he becomes a great leader. And so I do think, you know, all of those examples, Moses, Daniel, all, I mean, are people who are rising up in leadership, not like the false kings who say, okay, let me use the weapons of the world to, you know, on my behalf to, to kill and to steal and to destroy. But the, but good and godly leaders are confronting all the things that are anti-God. And for a while, those things have power. And the good and godly leaders say, I would rather suffer the consequences of opposing than, than appease to get some sort of temporary bastard power. And I think that's, I mean, that's just, I mean, yes, I, I think from, from the very beginning, which is why, you know, you have, I think Cain and Abel you know, right, right in that moment when Cain kills Abel and then the response, I mean, everybody asking the question is why doesn't God kill Cain? And because God is saying, I will not use the powers of evil to destroy evil from the very, very beginning. And I think um, we ought to be able to recognize that not as a historic reality, but as a present, you know, a, a present reality for anybody who wants to lead, not for their own gain, but wants to lead in light of the kingdom of God needs to be able to say, okay, well, what out here is opposing 
God's nature and how do I not want to either avoid it, appease it, or profit from it, but how do I oppose it and gladly accept the consequences of that opposition because um, I, I want more than those petty promises that those principalities can offer us. Um, that's a great text. My favorite lines in that text are um, when they say, you know, we had hoped. We had hoped is, I think, one of the just most poignant and just um, saddest <laughs> sentences in scripture. And when he says to them, and I'm not sure what I want to make of this, but he he says um, when he is before he explains all of that to them, he says you are so, he calls him foolish, but then he says, you are so slow of heart to believe. And then later when he vanishes and they say, we're our hearts not burning within us. And I think it's so interesting that he doesn't just say, you're so slow to believe, but he says, you're so slow of heart to believe. And when they look back and say, our, our hearts were burning within us. And I think there's something to be made of that sort of heart mind connection, or there are just some things, promises of God that can only be um can only be believed with the heart and you know where the heart first the head and i i mean i don't know i haven't quite gotten it yet but i just think so many of the promises of god and so many of the promises that i'm sure that jesus talked about and when he was going back and breaking down the prophets i mean they're promises that are so beautiful and so glorious that the mind has to reject them right like if the Prophet Isaiah says they'll neither neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, or you know the lion and the lamb, or the the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, or come you without money and buy bread and eat, and uh, you know those are promises that the mind just says poetry moving on, but the heart, the heart can believe them and just you know have hope in the sheer, in the sheer beauty of them, and I think there's just something about we have to, um, well, it's like that Brian Zahn book title that beauty will save the world. I mean, there's just something that we have to be so in love with the beauty of God that we put our faith in that. And that's a heart faith. And if we are limited to just what seems reasonable or possible, we'll never be able to follow Jesus because Jesus is unreasonably beautiful. Yeah. Jesus does not say to them that you're unable to believe. It's not so no. hard that you can't cognitively get it. So you're slow of heart. So the issue that Jesus points out has nothing to do with their heads. It's it's a it's a heart issue. And well, um, I mean, because somebody else had pointed out that like they basically give an untestimony. Like when he walks up and says, well, "What's going on?" and they say, and I love it. He's like, "Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know?" And he's like, "Bitch, please, I'm the only one who does know." <laughs> I'm not going to say that in my sermon, but um, but then they give a testimony, right? They say he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, and he, you know, made these promises, and then he was crucified, and they said he was raised again. I mean, they recount the salvation narrative, but they don't. They know well, it, but they don't believe it. And early on in that text, it says that they had the the testimony of the women who found the empty tomb. And then right. uh, some others went and they found the tomb empty. It's like, uh, they, they just had all of this evidence, but they couldn't quite get to the yes of, of resurrection. Um, 
And well, I and I think it's this. more than that. Like, I think it's not even that they couldn't get to the yes of resurrection, maybe, but I think it's just that the resurrection seemed almost irrelevant to them because of the hopes that they had to put aside. Like, even if Jesus was resurrected, he was still crucified, which means he wasn't going to become sort of the Jewish nation state emperor that they had hoped that he was going to be. And so I think it's it's more complicated just than they didn't believe it, but almost as if like, okay, if you're alive, Jesus, I mean, glad you're not dead, but you're not going to do what I had hoped you were going to do. Alive or dead, those hopes are gone. And I have to grieve that I've got a Messiah who's not going to save me in the way that I want to be saved. Not going to do it my way. <laughs> right, right. So I, yeah, I, I think it's just a fascinating, it's a fast, I mean, I, I mean, it's not a surprise, obviously, that both of us would pick that two Sundays after Easter, but it does read different in this season when so many of the things we had planned and hoped are not. So what's your overall take of that text? I mean, where where are you going with that narrative? Well, I don't know, friend, it's Friday. (laughs) I'm still still listening a little bit, but I mean, I do think... um, I mean, when I when I had written the church this week, I, I mean, my entry point is the whole is the we had hoped line because I think a lot of people, I mean, right now whether we had hopes for what life would look like in this season, and a lot of us were hoping to be like Galileo and you know discover a seventh law of gravity or write a you know great play or you know lose 20 pounds and bench press our own weight or whether we had hopes for like okay we'll stay home for a while but then then we'll be able to go back and pick up life where we left off I mean whatever whatever our hopes were a lot of us are just recognizing that they're they're not they were not predictors of reality and I think um so I think it's just important to name that even though hope is a central it's one of the one of the main gifts of life in Christ that there are going to be seasons when our hopes are revealed to be um baseless like we had hoped in the wrong thing and and in those moments to know we're not that doesn't mean we're written out of the gospel story now it might be that we're finally getting ready to be able to to read it well for the first for the very first time. Mm. And I do yeah. think the stuff about the, the heart stuff, I, that's what I want to work with. Yeah. I've been thinking about, um, and, and, and like you, that line we had hoped um, has my attention. And I've been thinking a lot about um, what it looks like, how you feel when you think you're at the end of something but you're really just at the beginning. And I don't know how to name that or what, what kind of title to give that, or, you know, if it's as simple as, um, you know, when the end is really the beginning, but, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Cause when you think you're at the end, you walk away, you walk away from Jerusalem, mm-hmm. you walk away from the relationship, mm-hmm. you walk away. When you think you're at the end, you walk around downcast. When you think you're at the end, you don't even recognize that Jesus is walking with you. When you're, when you think you're at the end, there's just yeah. a certain kind of mindset. You speak of hope in the past tense, right? We yeah. And I do think though, 
If I were going to title that sermon, and I don't title my sermons, but if I were going to title that sermon, I would title it On the Other Side of Hope. Um, mm, not bad. Not you, you can bad. have that. Um, yeah. And I was going to tell you something else too. Shoot. Which reminds me, have you remembered what our series title was going to be when we preached on the parables? Because it's really making me mad. We had a great plan for what we were going to call a sermon series on the parables, which we were both going to do in May. It was a great plan. And now I can't remember it. It's driving me crazy. So it wasn't the upside down kingdom. That's no, because that's, that's what I'm doing right now. That's what you're doing now. No, it's something else. It was something else. And it was all I know is that we like, were going to preach on the parables. That's all I remember. We we're going to preach on the power. I know you were excited about the thing. I was excited about marketing the thing. It's all very typical for us. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I can't, I can't think of what it was. It's really making me really angry. Um, but. And we even had our well, list of parables. I mean, before COVID-19, before any, hit, we had a plan. Well, uh, yeah, it was right before it hit. So yeah. I don't, I need to figure out where that list of parables is. Cause I probably wrote it down there. So anyway, I think we have reached the end of <laughs> this podcast and, um, but we are glad that you're listening. And um, if you want to hear Yolando's sermon from this week, you should look at the Podbeam website and look up Derida Church and you can find all of Yolando's messages there. And you can find out more about Derida Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina by Googling it and it will pop you right over to their website. And if you want to find out more about The Grove, it is thegrovecharlotte.org. Um, you can find uh, lots of stuff on our website. And if you want to listen to any of the sermons from The Grove, you can go to iTunes and check out our podcast, The Grove Charlotte Podcast or The Grove Church Podcast. I really should have that straight. (laughs) Anyway, um, thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye.